morning, Facebook family and our radio station. Welcome to the Texas Values Report. Today uh, it's just me, Mary Elizabeth Castle, the policy advisor, and Jonathan Covey, the policy director. How are you doing, Jonathan? Doing great, Mary Elizabeth. Great to be here on a Friday morning. Happy Friday to everyone, and also happy uh, free National Slurpee Day. Don't know why you would want a Slurpee at this time of morning, but uh, or where you could find a free one, but that's what the app on my phone says. So uh, welcome to the Texas Values Radio Show. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's a 7-Eleven across from our office, so we might have to go there. We'll have to run, run across there and yeah. grab something. <laughs> well, it's great to be here on a Friday, and we've got some things lined up for you to talk about and want to hit uh, specifically on uh, Mary Elizabeth on churches and elections to start out with. Yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of churches and a lot of pastors especially, which is surprising, uh, feel like they cannot, you know, talk about voting, feel like they can't talk about, you know, getting involved in politics. They kind of shy away from that topic. And actually, pastors do have the ability to encourage their people to vote. And it's very important for people to get involved in the political process. Absolutely. Very important for uh, Christians to be involved. We had David Clausen on a while back talking about the importance of Christians being involved in the uh, in the political process. And what we want to do today is talk a little bit about churches and particularly nonprofit corporations and how they can get involved and uh, and what they can do and what they can't do, right? Yeah, that's right. And we have this wonderful handout. Um, if you're on Facebook Live today, then you can see in the camera that we have this wonderful handout about churches and elections and what is the law. So, you know, many churches and pastors, like I said, feel called by the scripture to equip the saints to represent Christ in all areas of society, and they should. Uh, but there have been false information about how churches can, you know, get their people involved in politics. And um, the law is actually really supportive of churches. So, Jonathan, absolutely. can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, a lot of churches um, and pastors have been given false information um, about it in an attempt to to scare them from acting uh, as a pastor and imp- impacting their, their culture for Christ. And uh, the law is actually very supportive of pastors and churches fulfilling their mission. Um, helping to equip the saints. Um, even as a nonprofit corporation, there's very, uh, there's very little that a church cannot do in respect to um, certain types of things with elections and political activities. One of those things is that ch- uh, churches, especially nonprofit corporations, um, may not endorse or oppose a particular candidate. When it comes down to a particular specific candidate or talking about someone in particular, churches are not allowed to get into um, into that aspect of, of naming names. Another thing is contributing to or using church resources uh, for one candidate over another. Uh, and that includes like using uh, free use of like the church email list or free use of, of, of a member list. Uh, churches are not allowed to do that. Um, but there are several things, uh, and the, this is the good news, there are several things that the churches can do, and there are a lot of things that they can do to get involved. That's good. I mean, it seems like, you know, there are pretty much two things churches cannot do, but we have a list that says four things they can do, and that's great uh, that we can get people involved. Um, Absolutely. One one of the things that churches can do and is help register their members um, as voters. You know, you can you can get them registered, help them uh, figure out a way to register a, as a voter so that they can be prepared to go to the election um, booth and vote. Uh, another thing is you can pass out nonpartisan uh, voters guides as well. And this is a uh, this is something that Texas Values uh, is putting out as well. And, and you want to tell them a little bit about that? Yeah. Speaking of voters guides, if you're a church and you're like, well, I don't have the time to put 
together a voter guide or what is a voter guide, then let us help you out. Go to freevotersguide.com. And here's a little snapshot of what that looks like. Uh, just freevotersguide.com, one word. Uh, type it into your search box and you can put in your name, your address, um, zip code, and get your guide. And this will help you pick candidates um, that align with your Christian values. Um, it's a team of several policy organizations, several organizations that do thorough research on candidates, and they give you a breakdown of each candidate so you can see what they stand for and where they stand on the issues. And this is a very helpful guide uh, for people in your church, and each person can use that, you know, as a barometer of, do I want to vote for this candidate? You know, whether it's, you know, the primaries, the runoffs, and it even goes up until November for each candidate. And it's very easy to use. You can look up where you live and see the candidates in your race and uh, see which ones align with your Christian faith and your Christian values. Very helpful. It's, it's a very helpful guide. Go to freevotersguide.com, all one word. Um, another thing that churches can do is invite all candidates in a race to speak and you know you you can you can as a church you can reach out and you can uh, invite all the candidates to come and speak on the particular issues and it's okay if only one of the candidates shows up if only if only one shows up you can still let them speak but you have to invite them all and make sure that they're all uh, invited to come to the event another thing is speaking directly about specific issues and legislation for instance abortion for instance marriage uh, things like that you can you can go on specific issues because this gets into our our free exercise clause and our our rights of uh, of freedom of religion right Mary absolutely Elizabeth? yeah that's right and we need churches to speak on these issues so never feel afraid of talking about these issues in your sermons um, in your Sunday school lessons or even just having a potluck these are very important issues and they're not just something you know to talk about in the church I mean they affect your everyday life and you know it's very important that people know how to vote on these issues um, that they know where the church stands. Absolutely. And one of the things to remember with all of these kinds of rules is that these things are particular to church entities. They're not, they're, they don't relate to pastors as individuals. Individually, a pastor can do whatever he feels like he's led to do. He can endorse, he can support uh, a member's campaign as long as it's not done with church resources. There are no limitations really on what a pastor can do individually. The few limitations that do exist um, are only for church entities and only if the church is a nonprofit corporation we we would continue to encourage pastors to be involved on an individual level as well and and encourage pastors not to be intimidated from acting as pastors calling their people to vote giving them information that uh, that, that they can uh, give so they can best represent Christ in the voting booth yeah that's right so you know if you're a pastor there's certain things that you can do at Liberty that are different um, in your role as you know leading the church and so it's very important that whether you're a pastor a member you know someone who works for a church that you know about these freedoms that you have but also that you know about some of the restrictions that you have as well so you don't run into any problems absolutely uh, and and just keeping in mind that um, 
it, it's so very important to have uh, have pastors and churches involved in the political process. We need that. We need the 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 decreasing of apathy and the increasing of getting involved. And that's uh, something at Texas Values that we want to encourage. And you can go and if you want more information about um, different issues as well, you can go to texasvalues.org and check out our articles, check out our, our periodicals and things. And we've got a lot of resources there that, that uh, can help you out. I want to switch topics real quick and talk about uh, another thing that we've been working on lately. And Mary Elizabeth has kind of been taking the lead on some of this, but the State Board of Education, how's that going? Yeah, it seems like almost every radio show that I'm on, we're talking about the State Board of Education. It's been a long process. I mean, ever since probably last summer, we've been talking about this process of them reviewing the health TEGS, which includes include sex education. And many of you emailed us about being on a work group. Um, some of you emailed to sign up to testify this past week. Um, this past week is when they actually had the first discussion of the latest draft from the work groups on the health education TEKS. And boy, was it a showdown. A lot of people came to testify. And it, they came virtually, actually, because the meeting was held virtually. And people were able to testify through Zoom. Uh, there were about 260 people who testified at that meeting. Uh, not all of them were, you know, on our side. Uh, you mm -hmm. had some varying viewpoints. You had a lot of people advocating for LGBTQ issues to be taught. You had a lot of people pushing comprehensive sex ed. A lot of groups uh, saying that children should know how to get an abortion and that it's their right and that, you know, it's something that they should advocate for. There was a lot during this meeting, but there were a lot of people... Um, Texas Value supporters, uh, we testified at that meeting. Uh, there were a lot of things that we saw in the TEKS um, that we thought should be changed, a lot of things that we thought should be kept the same, but promoting the optimal health of a student, not just, you know, their physical health and their physical safety, what's best for that, but also for their emotional and spiritual well-being and realizing that the child is a whole person, and we can't have them engage in this early activity um, and expect them to be well and whole as a person. So, well, you know, you know, we we and there may have been some people um, who actually tuned into that meeting and watched as well. And one of the phrases that we kept hearing over and over was "medically accurate, inclusive, and comprehensive sex ed." What what does that mean? What 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 are they what are they talking about when they when they talk about that? Yeah, it's really interesting because. Perhaps is not medically accurate. I mean, the big term of the day, the big issue of the day was the gender identity issue. I think one of a lot of the groups were pushing that this issue should be taught as early as kindergarten, that, you know, gender is a spectrum, that what you are born or what you are determined before you're born, actually, right. is not <laughs> what you actually are. And it's interesting because that's not scientifically proven. You know, right. biology is not just determined by body parts. It's determined by your chromosomes. And that's exactly. how you're able to determine uh, a baby's gender even before it's born. Um, and so they're trying to not just uh, teach this gender ideology as a political type movement or political ideology. I mean, they're actually teaching kids false science about their own bodies. Right. 
Exactly, and 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 the uh, the medically accurate part of that is not medically accurate at, at all. And what they really mean is going into, uh, like you say, teaching political ideology, teaching teaching kids um, things that are inappropriate and above their age levels as well. And um, that's something at Texas Values that we've tried to fight from the very beginning. Yeah, that's very true. And so it was a long uh, meeting. It lasted until probably one a.m. I think one a.m. the next day. Uh, but at the end of the day, so with this process, with the discussion process, um, they listen to testimony from people all over. Uh, that's what kind of makes the SBOE great in a way, is that they listen to feedback um, from people all over Texas. And so after they heard the testimony, the next day they actually had a discussion at the board. And so all 20 of the recommendations that Texas Values made will be in the charge that goes to the next work group to edit the document. And that's a good thing. That's a great uh, thing. Yeah. And we this is a convoluted process as well. Where are we kind of at in the process in regards to? Yeah. So groups? we're close to the end. So with this work group, uh, it'll be the very last work group. Uh, it'll be work group F and their job is really just to edit and take the recommendations of the board members um, and go within those guidelines to work on the current document. After that, they will actually put together a streamlined version of the standards uh, that school students will learn. And then we'll have the first vote in September and then the final adoption will be in November. So that's where we are in the process. And then, of course, it will be implemented in the year 2022. So we're continuing to watch and con continuing to guard and fight on the on the SBO SBOE level, t talking about sex ed, talking about uh, sexual orientation, and gender identity, things like that. Uh, what else have we been working on lately? Yeah, so, I mean, the SBOE took up a lot of time, but, I mean, that's not all that we do here at Texas Values. Uh, there's been a lot that's been happening at the Supreme Court. Uh, you probably remember that on the radio show we've discussed some recent decisions, you know, the Bostock case. I think we were actually yep. here on the radio show to, to discuss that. We haven't talked much about the life issue, the June medical case. And Jonathan, can you talk a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with June Medical, it was kind of a uh, it was a case similar in Louisiana to the case that was brought in Texas, um, having to do with putting um, restrictions on uh, abortion providers, uh, uh, hospital admitting privileges, uh, things like that. And um, actually, the Supreme Court, uh, when they came back, they said that this was very similar to the hell. It's called the Hellerstedt opinion, and that. Uh, they had to continue with precedent, even though even though John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, had voted differently, in, I believe, in the Hellerstedt opinion. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, he came back and, and, and switched and voted um, against the June medical decision talking about uh, requiring uh, abortion providers to have hospital admitting privileges to require them to have uh, certain types of credentials. So that was a disappointing case um, as it came in. But we also had some religious freedom cases uh, recently and towards the end of the Supreme Court's term, I guess we're still, they extended their term, um, that were more encouraging and, and that we wanted to, uh, to visit about as well. One of them being uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, v. Morrissey Baru, which was a, a uh, religious freedom case before the Supreme Court. And it came out as a decision in favor of religious freedom, seven to two, saying that the courts should stay out of employment disputes involving important decisions with churches and religious organizations. 
Um, this is a major victory for religious freedom, and it affirms that the, the principle that religious schools and other religious institutions have a constitutional right to decide who decides their faith and without government interference. Uh, one, Justice Alito was the one who wrote the majority opinion in that case, and one of the things he said was, the First Amendment protects the right of religious institutions, quote, to decide for themselves, free from state interference, matters of church government as well as those of faith and doctrine. And that's, that's good news. That sets a, that sets that a good is. precedent for us. Yeah, absolutely. I actually remember, Jonathan, uh, I think I was actually – don't want to tell my age. I was in high school when uh, Hosanna Tabor came out, right. and I thought that was a great case. You know, growing up in the church, my father was a pastor, and thinking that, you know, it's great that, you know, churches don't have to uh, feel pressured by the government when they're making hiring and firing decisions that, you know, their faith and kind of the principles of that Christian organization or that church uh, can, you know, actually rule the day. And so this is a great case uh, that it's expanded um, in this way, too. Yeah, and we had f f uh, several, you know, fellow uh, organ uh, religious freedom organizations file amicus briefs. Uh, in this case, Texas Values didn't, but we supported this case, and we wanted to see th this outcome, which which was uh, really encouraging for religious freedom. And some of the facts behind it were this was a this was a Catholic school employing a Catholic teacher, and the um, the Catholic teacher was let go uh, and and she sued the uh, she sued the school um, and the school defended ba based on the uh, religious free, uh, religious clause exception called the ministerial exception, saying that um, employees and uh, who have an important ministerial function within an organization cannot uh, sue their employer because in, in this case it would involve. Uh, the government getting into and involving credentialing of ministers and licensing of ministers and, and pastors, which which is a, a very bad thing. So uh, the government, uh, the the uh, Supreme Court rather, came out and said that the government can't get involved in this. Um, that would be too far of an entanglement with religion, and that this is um, a win for uh, religious freedom. So we're very happy about that. We also had another case come out, Little Sisters of the Poor. I wanted to talk about this because this is an ongoing uh, kind of litigation. This is kind of the final stage of an ongoing litigation. You want to tell them a little bit about that, Mary Elizabeth? Yeah, absolutely. And you probably are familiar with Little Sisters of the Poor now. Uh, they've had, you know, several uh, chances at um, trying to, uh, you know, express their religious freedom. Um, and they've been successful in this most recent case. Now, you may have heard uh, there's been a lot of battles with the Affordable Care Act and a lot of the provisions that were made even after that law was passed um, that actually uh, said that you had to provide for uh, contraceptives and things that, you know, people have religious objections to. Uh, you may even remember the Hobby Lobby case where some of those contraceptives included abortifacients and Hobby Lobby argued uh, to not be, have to uh, provide those things and pay for those things uh, for their employees. So with the Little Sisters of the Poor, uh, they wanted to be able to uh, express their religious freedom and keep their religious rights to not um, provide these things that were against their faith. Um, and so this case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, yeah. anything else you want to add? Yeah. yeah so, so if you remember in... It, after years of litigation, I think it was in 2016, the Little Sisters finally won their case at the U.S. Supreme Court. 
and their original case was finally resolved um, at the uh, 10th, 10th Circuit. And then on, on uh, November 7th, the federal government, it, through HHS, through the Department of Health and Human Services, issued a final rule saying that, that there could be exemptions um, f- under the employment mandate for um, organizations, religious organizations like Little Sisters, to be able to uh, not have to provide contraceptive coverage. And so that's where this lawsuit came from. The, um, the abortion providers and people uh, sued, saying that this, was a, that this was an illegitimate rule, this was not a valid rule. And then the Supreme Court finally came back and said that this is, and under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that um, HHS could make this rule and that they were able to protect those employers that don't want to have to uh, cover contraception. Yeah, that's right. And so we see a lot uh, recently in these Supreme Court cases the mention of RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And a lot of people have always been happy about that, that we have that law in place uh, passed in the early to mid 90s. It's been in place for quite a while, but we still have a lot of religious freedom battles. And so there's been a lot of debate on how strong that statue is. But we've also heard from the Supreme Court recently, in a case that wasn't so favorable to religious freedom, that it's a super statute. So I don't want to put you on the spot, Jonathan, but what do you think is going to happen with this uh, federal religious protection in RIFRA? And can we see it being helpful in the future? Well, I think that what the Supreme Court is indicating is, and and to be clear, RIFRA, the, the, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, hasn't been used in, in a lot of cases um, in the past. But I think what the Supreme Court is indicating is that RIFRA has a lot more muscle than we thought it actually did. And I think what they also did was put a spotlight on RIFRA and, and, and basically say that, okay, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is now what is holding up this religious freedom. And Probably opening it up to to attack and a lot more lawsuits in the future uh, would be would be my guess as well. Um, also, going back to the uh, Guadalupe case and talking about the ministerial exception, I wanted to read uh, another quote from Justice Alito that he had in his majority opinion. He also said in his quote, he said, "The religious education and formation of students." is the very reason for the existence of most private schools, and therefore the selection and supervision of teachers upon whom the schools rely to do this work lie at the core of their mission, judicial review of the way in which religious schools discharge those responsibilities would undermine the independence of religious institutions in a way that the First Amendment does not tolerate. And so basically what he's saying is that religious schools their job is to inculcate their students with, um, with their faith. That, that's what they do. That's, that's what they were formed for. And other organizations such as this, where their job is to spread the, the tenets of their faith, they'll be protected under this, uh, under this ruling as well. And so it's just a very encouraging um, ruling going forward, and we expect and, and hope that this will be expanded in other cases. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it's a good precedent uh, for the future. And like I said, it even expands, you know, how churches can make and religious organizations can make their decisions. And like you said, a religious school shouldn't have to feel like they have to give in to the government. I mean, they 
provide their own funding. So. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they, they provide their own funding and they have their own core beliefs and tenets and values, and they should be able to, to push those um, as well. So just going full circle, and we started out with this, but talking about churches and the election, we got the, uh, we got the runoffs coming up. Uh, well, at the time of this, um, this taping, um, actually, we have election day uh, that uh, people need to get out and vote. Yeah, that's true. You really need to get out there and vote. A good source again, freezevotersguide.com. Figure out if there's a runoff in your uh, jurisdiction and see uh, who's running and see what they stand for and go out there and make that decision on Tuesday. You really want to vote. There's protections uh, for your health and safety. I think you don't have to wear a mask, according to Governor Abbott. Yeah, I think the mask order said you don't have to wear a mask to okay. vote. Uh, maybe you do in, in all the other uh, circumstances, but voting is an exception. Uh, and just remembering that individual, for, for pastors, individual pastors can, can do whatever they feel led to do as well. They can endorse, they can support members' campaigns. Uh, the li- limitations that exist are, are really for uh, and almost exclusively for church entities, and I think that's an, an important distinction to remember. So uh, registering members to vote, passing out nonpartisan voters' guide, freevotersguide.com, inviting all candidates in a race to speak, and speaking directly on specific issues like like abortion, like marriage, like like um, other conservative issues that uh, your church may want to push as well. So uh, we just really want to uh, thank everyone for uh, listening and supporting us. Uh, you can go to Texas uh, TexasValues.org for more information as well. Is there anything else, Mary Elizabeth? Yeah, we never forget, you know, that this is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we appreciate any help you can give. We realize that these are hard times. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think that you will see a great return. Uh, the Free Voters Guide, um, our legislative guide that we put out during the legislative session that lets you know who represents you at the state legislature, um, many of these things that we do, um, you'll see a great return on your investment. Um, and we provide a lot of these resources for free. Um, we're always available for you to call our office for questions. And so if you can bless our organization during this time, we just encourage you to do so. And we're thankful if you can. Absolutely. We're thankful for all of our supporters, um, thankful for their support and their encouragement. We've received uh, letters and emails of encouragement as well, and we're always thankful when we get a call from a, from a supporter. But uh, TexasValues.org if you want to get more information. And I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful and a happy Friday. And remember, free National Slurpee Day. So I don't know where you can get that free National Slurpee, but we're going to skip over to the 7-Eleven sometime and maybe see if right. we can uh, exactly. make it happen. So, hey, everyone, hope you guys uh, have, a, have a wonderful weekend and uh, go out and vote. Absolutely. Have a good weekend.